Welcome to everyone this evening. We're glad to have you on this Thursday night. And um, I know that if you've been listening for the last hour, um, not hearing, but listening, you, you've heard from the Lord if you've been listening. And uh, that was, as always, good stuff. Tonight, as we continue... Uh, Be Ye Holy, we're going to focus tonight on the process. And uh, last week we talked about that it was from the inside out. And so this week we're going to talk more about what that process is. I said last week, and I want to remind you, there's, there's two words that kind of have a similar sound to them. That's the word justification and the word sanctification. And the word, justi- or the word justification relates to righteousness, and it's the process of righteousness, of becoming righteous. And we don't become righteous by our works. We don't earn righteousness. We don't do something to deserve it. It is a gift that God gives to us, provides for us. And then sanctification is the process that leads to holiness. So justification and righteousness is the outcome of that. Sanctification and holiness. Sanctification is the process and holiness is the outcome. I want to read a couple of verses here as a little bit of a foundation uh, as we kind of get into this more the specifics of sanctification and what that is. Galatians chapter 5 verse number 16 Paul says this, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I think there's too many times as believers we focus on all the, I'm not supposed to do that, I can't do that, I shouldn't go that, do that, I shouldn't go there, I shouldn't say. When Paul says, if you'll just walk in it, all that stuff you shouldn't do, you won't do. Walk in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the, lust of the, for the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. They are, they are they're enemies of each other. Your flesh and the Spirit are enemies. And your fleshly desires never... Your flesh never dies until you're dead, (laughs) physically dead, meaning there's always, there's always fleshly desires that are contrary to the spirit, always. And the moment you start giving in to those fleshly desires, or the moment you think, oh, the battle's over, I've won. Does anybody in this room tonight think you are, and I, I know, you know, if you want to get down to the nitty-gritty principles, we're all, you know, we're all equal, whatever, the, the, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist, all that, okay, but, and, and, and kind of the way we think. Is there anybody in this room tonight that you think you are, you are the Apostle Paul's equal? Got some laughs, got some head nods, got some smirks. Absolutely not. None of us. None of us. 
To me, Paul's somewhere way up, probably above the ceiling compared to where I am. And Paul said, Paul, that guy that not one of us here think we're equal to, Paul said, the things that I should do, I don't do. And the things I shouldn't do, I find myself doing. If Paul, at his level of spiritual maturity and ministry, was saying that, and I want to be tempted to think, well, I got this all together. No, there's a battle that's going to continue raging. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Boy, that's a, that's, a, that's a fun verse for a bunch of Christians today. I was just last night, it's amazing, in the last 24 hours, I've come across two things that, that, have, that, that were contrary, contradictory to this topic that I'm teaching. It's kind of funny how the devil finds a way to do that. One of them, I, I was listening, I, I was scrolling Facebook last night, and I believe it's, I, I don't know the guy, I don't know who he is, I just the kind of a connection to somebody else, I think he's, I think he may be considered some kind of an apostolic. And he was, if you, if you use the law for justification, well, no, the law is not for justification. I don't get justified by works of the law, No. There's a bunch of people today that want to tell you, well, the law doesn't have anything to do with us. As I taught last week, the law is now written in our hearts. God didn't do away with law. He did away with where it was written or changed where it was written. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these... Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So it's kind of contradictory to say, well, you can kind of just live however you want to live and be saved, if Paul says you can't do these things and inherit the kingdom. Verse 22, but the fruit, somebody say fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against such there is no law and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts the amplified bible says it this way verse 22 but the fruit of the spirit the work which his presence within accomplishes and then it goes on to list those things the living bible says But when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, He will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace. There is an inward work of the Spirit that should be producing fruit in our lives. 
I read it, I think, maybe the first week, if I'm not mistaken, of this, this uh, series of classes. Paul says uh, there's a couple of times in the New Testament and Paul's writings where he says that you're just supposed to put something on. Just put it on. There's some things you're supposed to take off, and then there's some things you're supposed to just put on. But here, Paul's talking about something that you and I do not produce. We don't, we don't manufacture fruit. Fruit that Paul is talking about is the product of the Spirit working in us. These things are the fruit, and if you notice in verse 22 in the King James, it is the fruit singular, not fruits plural. So it's not a, it shouldn't be a matter of, well, you know, I got some fruits right now, love, got some, got a little bit of goodness and faith, but I don't know about that other stuff. No. All of these things are characteristics of a single fruit. The fruit, not the fruits, plural, the fruit of the Spirit produces love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, faith. That is a byproduct, that, that is an outward manifestation. All of those things are manifest, or not all of them, peace, long-suffering kind of deal with us, but jo- love, um, joy, gentleness, goodness, those things are expressed outwardly and impact others. I realize joy is something that may be working on the inside of us, but a joyful person treats others a whole lot better than an angry person. <laughs> and so we, we talked, we read it last week. Uh, uh, there's a, a new covenant. In the new covenant, I'm going to put my spirit in you, and you're going to walk in my statutes and my judgments, and, and I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to write the laws in your heart. And what is working on the inside should be manifesting on the outside. And so that process, that ongoing, we're going to come back to this towards the end this evening, that ongoing, never-ending process of sanctification is very important in our lives. Because we should be coming more and more more and more like Jesus. I don't know about you, but I got a long ways to go to be just like him. People, both young and when they've been older, have seen my sons, and boy, they look like you. Well, they may favor me, but we're not identical twins. We're not the same height, we're not the same build. We may favor, we may look a lot alike, we may look alike enough to recognize father and son, but we are not identical. Jesus said, he didn't say when you've seen me, you've seen the father that I favor. (laughs) He said when you've seen me, you've seen the father. I, I want that gap. I want that gap between me and Jesus to be continually narrowing. 
It doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we're going to be like Him if we remain in this process of sanctification. I want you to hear the definition of the word sanctify. And I, uh, it, it's similar in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but I, I, I want to share it with you from each. And so the Old Testament, the definition of sanctify is to consecrate. It is to prepare, to dedicate, to be hallowed, to be holy, to be sanctified, to be separate, to be set apart. To keep oneself apart or separate. In the New Testament, the word sanctify means to render or declare sacred or holy, to consecrate. It is to separate from things profane and dedicate to God to consecrate things, persons. It's to purify, to cleanse externally, to purify internally. I I, I want you to notice that in those definitions, both the Old and the New Testament, there's really two sides of the coin of, of that word sanctify. Because there are some things you can read in those definitions that I can't do. The Spirit must do. But then there's some things in these definitions that are responsibilities that I have. It is things that I do. It is choices I must make. The Spirit is not going to twist my arm and separate me in my natural life. I've got to choose that I'm going to cut myself off from those things that may be unclean, unholy. I'm not going to sit and wait on God to do that for me. And so there, there is, a, again, going back to the idea Paul says in Galatians 5, that there is the fruit. And so the fruit of the Spirit is what's inside working itself outward. But then there's some things we put on. I, I use the I use the analogy. I think it was that first week, if I'm not mistaken. But but the the, the day that uh, men and women, young men and young women, report to the Naval Academy on induction day, they 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 are automatically given a uniform the first day. They, they, internally, they are not yet prepared and qualified. They begin putting stuff in them while they're already wearing the uniform. And there becomes with time a a merging, a meshing. That's why sometimes you can see a person that's not in uniform and you can look at them and go, they're either in or they were in the military. Just You tell by the way they carry themselves. That day they showed up, at the Naval Academy, I guarantee you, most of those young men and young women weren't standing around at attention all the time. They were probably, you know, slumped over, kind of just chilling. What's up, dog? That ain't happening there. Get your head up. Get your shoulders back. And then there comes a point in time where without even thinking about it, you just do that. I think that's a, that's a picture 
of what's supposed to go on. However, hear me, where, the, where my analogy breaks down is this. <laughs> so hear me. The point that analogy breaks down is I'm not saying when it comes to us as believers, we're supposed to put on a uniform. Hello. <laughs> but the, Paul said there were some things that we were supposed to just put on. And it wasn't apparel that Paul was talking about. Because as the, as the Spirit is working on the inside, and I am putting these things on the outside, those two should be coming one. I want to read you a couple of different places throughout Scripture where that word sanctify is used. Exodus 13 and 2, children of Israel have just come out of Egypt. They've just come through the Red Sea. They're beginning their journey to the promised land. And the Lord says, Sanctify unto me all firstborn, whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. Set apart. I want the firstborn to be set apart, separated from the rest. Joshua chapter 3 and verse number 2 Children of Israel have spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness, waiting to get into the promised land, and it's now time for that to happen. And and Joshua 3 and verse 2, It came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way heretofore. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, separate, dedicate, consecrate, purify yourselves. Because tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. God's going to do some great things tomorrow, but we need to prepare ourselves for that. God's going to do wonders, but we, there is a responsibility on us of preparation for God to do wonders. There's some, again, some dedicating, some separating, some, some setting apart that needs to happen as preparation. You will never enter in fully to what God has for you in your relationship with Him, and in your ministry if you're not willing to be set apart. First Thessalonians 5.23 And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. W-H-O-L-L-Y That means all of you. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice there, Paul says, your spirit, your soul, and your body. He didn't just say your spirit and your soul. I want all three to be preserved blameless. 
Ephesians 5 and 24 says this, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might separate it, that he might set it apart, that he might distinguish it. I feel like a broken record with a few things, but I'll just keep saying them. I think part of the world's disillusionment with Christianity is looking around at so-called Christians whose lives are no different than theirs other than going to church. Outside of that, they do the same things, they go the same places, they say the same things, they wear the same things, but they're saved. He sanctified it, so that is, he set it apart, he separated it. Isn't it interesting? Be surprised if there's any adult in this room that's never been to a wedding, at least one. Who is the most recognizable person at the wedding? The most distinguished, set-apart person? Anybody ever sitting around going, Oh, can't wait to see the groom. Oh, the groom. No! Nobody care about the groom? It's not even the maid of honor, the, the, the uh, bridesmaids, the, bri- the bride. I've been, in a, I've been in, in a part of weddings where there's been several hundred people at the wedding. And without fail, there's one person. Isn't it amazing when it comes to that situation? We, we all, and, and I mean... Little girls grow up dreaming of the day they wear that dress and walk down the aisle. Guys never grow up dreaming about the day they walk down the aisle. I mean, I wanted to get married, yeah, but I wasn't dreaming about it. I'm going to wear a tux, okay, probably going to be black, whatever. The bride dreams about it, awaits that moment. And she presents herself distinguished and set apart from everybody else in the room. Oh, hallelujah. I feel like preaching a little bit right now. (laughs) She is different, distinguished than every, no one. A lot of times the groom, he, he may have a different color bow tie or a little bit different tux than the groomsman, but they're still pretty much similar. And I've seen where the bridesmaids had maybe a different color dresses, but they were pretty much the same style. There's nobody else in the room with a dress like the bride. Absolutely, completely distinguished. And everybody sits, and especially the ladies, the guys can't, because if they're married, they'll get in trouble, so all the ladies can't. Oh, isn't she so beautiful? And we're being told in 2021 that God is interested in a bride that blends in with everything. God's going to settle for a bride 
that's not distinguished? Sanctify and cleanse it with the washing by the word. That he might present it to himself. A glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. I I have never seen a disheveled bride. I've never seen a sloppy bride. In fact, and I'm going to say this very cautiously, and please don't, don't get offended by this statement, okay? But I've seen some brides that outside of that moment, they were not all that attractive in my opinion. Thankfully, the guy they were walking down the aisle to thought they were the prettiest thing in the world. And that's all that matters. And my wife thinks I'm getting to be more and more of a gray fox all the time. I got a haircut today, and I, I've been doing this for years, but it's, it's even, I look down and I'm like, whose hair is this on this thing? It's like this whole pile of gray, just strictly gray. I'm like, where did that come from? Oh, yeah. <laughs> she, she, thinks, she, she thinks I've gotten better looking over the years. She'd tell me sometimes, she, she sits there while I preach and sits there and thinks, man, I, I can't believe he's mine. You know what? I, I don't need anybody else in the world to feel that way about me. If she feels that, that's all that matters. As long as that groom thinks she's the prettiest thing in the world, that's all that matters. But I've seen some few times where, wow. Of course, sometimes it wasn't about the individuals, just about the fact most of the time they're just, you know, frumpy, whatever. Well, I need, I'm digging a pit here, I think. <laughs> the groom of all grooms has the right to expect the bride of all brides. Not dirty, soiled. I, I, have, a, I have a couple of... Anybody have a recurring dream? A couple of... Thank you. I, feel, I, I, I have a couple different ones. One of them usually has to do with school or college. College is usually... I have a final exam. I have no idea where my classroom is. I don't know what the test was about, and I'm frantically trying to get to class. I have that every couple of months. I've got some, I, I won't, so if you were an ACE, ACS, ACE student, I've got some sometimes about, I got my diploma, Sister Evans, but I didn't finish all my paces, and I got to go back and get those done, and I... <laughs> But then I've got another one every, I just, just recently, I just had it again where it's like, it's church time and I'm supposed to be on the platform, but I'm like totally not dressed properly. I got my casual whatever clothes on and I'm rushing around trying to get properly dressed to get into church. No idea why I have that dream, but I have it every now and then. Never seen a bride. Rushing in, prepared. Again, 
living a lot of her life up till that day for that moment. Why should we as the bride of Christ be any different? 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and please God, so you would be abound more and more. No, notice what Paul said. There is a way that we should walk. Not, not physically walk. <laughs> Live. Conduct ourselves. For you know... What commandments were we gave you by the Lord Jesus? For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Sanctification is the will of God in our lives. That you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. The Living Bible says that verse this way, not in lustful passion as the heathen do in their ignorance of God and his ways. Verse 6, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter because that the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. God has not called us unto uncleanness, uncleanness, but unto holiness. I want you to listen to what Easton's Bible Dictionary says about this word sanctification. Sanctification involves more than a mere moral reformation of character brought about by the power of the truth. It is the work of the Holy Spirit bringing the whole nature more and more under the influences of the new gracious principles implanted in the soul and regeneration. The whole nature. I just, I just heard someone share something recently, a couple of stories about some restaurant staff that went to their uh, went to their their boss and requested not to work Sundays. No, not so they could go to church. They requested to not work Sundays because Sun they said Sunday is the worst day of the week to work. Because all the people that went to church come in and they get treated worse on Sunday than any other day of the week. That is sad. Because the whole nature, our whole nature, should be brought under the influence of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Not, a, not a, just a part, not just certain areas, the entire, all of our nature. In other words, sanctification is the carrying on to perfection the work begun in regeneration. And it extends to the whole man. I mean, how many of you, this, this is actually really not a trick question, okay? How many of you are saved tonight? How many of you believe you're saved tonight? How many of you, 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 how many of you you'd tell somebody, I'm saved? How many of you would? I'll see some of you putting your hands up. We're going to have to have an altar call here before we go because if you ain't saved, we got a problem. This is not a trick question. I told you. 
We say that, and the fact of the matter is, as of this moment, technically we are not. Because I'm still living, I'm still breathing. I still have the ability to walk away and reject God. And yet I would say, I'm saved. Why? By faith and by the fact that I am continuing to submit myself to the process. I believe that standing right here, right now, I am saved. But I believe that because to the best of my ability, I am remaining in that process. And it's an ongoing process. And so is this work of perfection in our lives. It is the special office of the Holy Spirit in the plan of redemption to carry on this work. Faith is instrumental in securing sanctification in as much as it secures union to Christ and brings the believer into living contact with the truth whereby he is led to yield obedience to the commands, trembling at the threatenings and embracing the promises of God for this life and that which is to come. Now listen to that. I know I'm reading a lot right now, but just bear with me. I want you to hear this next statement. Perfect sanctification is not attainable in this life. Perfect sanctification is not attainable in this life. You and I will never be perfect in this life. God's not going to allow it. Because the moment you and I became perfect, if we did, we would cease to rely upon Him. We would cease to acknowledge our need for Him. I got this. I'm perfect. There is always room for growth and development in our lives, no matter how long it's been since you were born again. The more, this, this is powerful right here, the more holy a man is, the more humble or humble. Now every time I hear that, read that word, all I can think of is the video from Brother Whaley's memorial service. <laughs> I say it like my dad and I hear it like Brother Whaley, so. <laughs> Brother Whaley's gone, my dad's still here, so I need to stay on my dad's good side. <laughs> The more holy a man is, the more humble. I'm going to start over, okay, without the interruptions here, all right? The more holy a man is, the more humble, self-renouncing, self-abhorring, and the more sensitive to every sin he becomes, and the more closely he clings to Christ. If that's the case, and I believe it is, then what does that say about the person that's a supposed believer that's trying to convince themselves and everybody else? All that stuff doesn't matter. That doesn't. According to what was said here, the closer I get to him, the more the little stuff matters. That's why it blows my mind. I'm, again, I'm, I'm not intentionally trying to be critical, judgmental, but I, I, it blows my mind to watch some, some, some so-called men of God when they reach some kind of level of success in ministry, they, they get this mindset they're to be served. 
I've been in settings where I felt really out of place because I walked into a room all by myself and I've watched other pastors walk in with, they got people carrying their Bible, they got people carrying, they got their, I mean, they got a whole entourage. I'm not saying I'm any better. But my, my point is, my attitude, I should take on more humility, not more pride, not more self self-worth. Well, do you know who I am? Wait a minute. What did, what did Jesus do? He made himself of no reputation. If there was anybody that had a right to have a reputation, it would have been Jesus. And yet Jesus made himself of no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a man, became a servant. The one out of anybody that deserved to be served became a servant. What right do I have to expect you to serve me? If the one that had a right to be served, served. The moral imperfections which cling to him, he feels to be sins which he laments and strives to overcome. Believers find that their life is a constant warfare and they need to take the kingdom of heaven by storm and watch while they pray. They are always subject to the constant chastisement of their Father's loving hand, which can only be designed to correct their imperfections and to confirm their graces. And it has been notoriously the fact that the best Christians have been those who have been the least prone to claim the attainment of perfection for themselves. It's an ongoing process. I think there's a lot of reasons why it's important for us to know that and remember that. And one of the many reasons is because if you don't accept the fact The work of sanctification in my life is an ongoing process. You might get discouraged and quit. Because after all you know that God has done in your life, you're still looking in the mirror going, man, that's wrong, this is off, that's flawed, I might as well give up. No. No. Stay in the process. Stay in the process. And allow the Spirit to continue that work. Because again, as 1 John 3 tells us, there's coming a day we will be like Him. I'm going to be like Him. I don't look exactly I favor Him. I hope I favor Him. I know I don't look exactly like Him. But I'm not going to give up because every man that hath this hope in Him Inside, working out, purifieth himself, even as he is pure. There is a twofold part to this sanctification. One part is God's work. We are sanctified, Nelson's Bible dictionary says, we are sanctified by God. Perfect holiness is God's command and purpose. As Paul prayed, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Sanctification is a process that continues during our lives as believers. Only after death are the saints referred to as perfect. 
Only after death are the saints referred to as perfect. Don't, 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 don't confuse sanctification and holiness with the idea that you were supposed to be perfect right here, right now. Kind of goes back in principle to what Brother McGurk was talking about in the last session, how we respond to our wounds, how we handle our wounds. That's the same thing in principle. How do we handle our imperfections? If I let them drive me back to the cross and find a place of repentance and renewal, that's not something to want to give up over and quit over. And then the other part is our work, our responsibility. Numerous commands in the Bible imply that believers also have a responsibility in the process of sanctification. We are commanded to be holy, to be perfect, and to present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Writing to the church of the Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul made a strong plea for purity. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. These commands imply effort on our part. We must believe in Jesus since we are sanctified by faith in Him. Through the Spirit, we must also put to death the evil deeds of the body. And Paul itemized the many works of the flesh from which we must separate ourselves. Finally, we must walk in the Spirit in order to display the fruit of the Spirit. In a lot of ways, that goes back to my analogy of the midshipman. (laughs) There's something working on the heart, the mind to transform, but then there are things that are happening on the outside to transform. And it is an ongoing process. Wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have to do anything in the process and it was just all on God? (laughs) I mean, you know, you know what that's kind of like? That'd be, that's kind of like going to the gym, Brother Andrew, and just staring at the weights, expecting. Well, I'll stare at these weights long enough, my biceps are going to start expanding. My muscles are going to start growing. No. If you will use the weights, the potential is there. If you'll engage with the Spirit of God, the potential is there to sanctify you. And you can't just sit there, okay, God, do your thing. No, no. He's got a part, and you and I have a part. I forgot that I had this in the notes, and I've kind of been all over it, but I'll go ahead and read it. 1 John 3 and 1. Behold what manner of love The Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew Him not. Beloved, now, now, right now, are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know, we know. You hear hear what John's saying? Not we hope, 
Not we wish. Not we're dreaming. No. We know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. That's our hope. Our hope is when He appears, I'm going to be like Him. And then listen to what John says in verse 3. Every man that hath this hope in Him purifieth himself, even as He is pure. We says everyone who has this hope continually set on Him is constantly purifying Himself just as that one is pure. I've got that hope. You've got that hope. And if I will stay submitted to the process, I can trust that when He appears, I'm going to be like Him. Last verse. Philippians 1.6 Being confident. Being confident. Again, not wishing, not hoping, not dreaming. Being confident. Being certain of this very thing. That He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The Amplified Bible says, I am convinced and sure of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue it, will continue until the day of Jesus Christ, right up to the time of his return, developing that good work and perfecting and bringing it to full completion in you. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, that's what started in your life. That good work started, and the promise is He will complete it. We got anybody here this evening that you're a good project starter? I would be surprised if those of you that just raised your hands are not, or excuse me, I'd be surprised if you're a good project finisher. Yeah. A lot of great project starters are terrible at being project finishers. Because you start the process and there's the adrenaline and the excitement and the fun and you get through that initial high and then you get down to the tedious and you're ready to start another one. That's a dangerous thing for a homeowner to be that way. Because you can walk in probably just about every room and see started projects that were unfinished. As we do with a lot of things, I think we subconsciously transfer some things to God. And I think that's one of those things. Well, I know He started, but will He finish? Yes, He will. Yes, He will. If I will stay submitted and yielded to the process, He has guaranteed me He will finish the process. And what's so unique about God is He has the ability. There's sometimes, I've done it, you probably have too, there's sometimes it wasn't about the fact that I wasn't a good finisher, it was the fact I started something and got into it and realized I don't really know how to do this or I don't really have the ability or, and so I, I couldn't finish it. 
God has the ability to finish whatever He starts. My wife and I were in the country of Zambia for a couple of months in 1995 doing missions work. We were in the, the capital city of Lusaka most of that time. We did some traveling out from there. We were there in 1995. There was a building that I think in that point in time was actually being worked on, if I'm not mistaken. It was about a four or five story building. And uh, left 95, we came back home. Well, in 97, I went back to preach a youth conference. And when I went back two years later, that building was in the identical condition it was when I left two years ago. It was pretty much to the point where it was at that point where the floors, again, is like five or six stories, pretty good sized building. All the floors were in place, but you could basically see through it. You know, there was no, it was just the, it was just the concrete walls. And there was scaffolding set around, set up around the entire perimeter of that building. And two years later, it was exactly like that. The story was it was a building that one of the political parties was building as their headquarters. And in the process of building, they ran out of resources, and so it sat. I have no idea if it ever got completed. I haven't been back since 97. Can I tell you tonight, you do not have to worry that God will run out of the resources to finish in your life what he started. And I got some more good news. You do not have the first problem in the history of mankind that God doesn't know how to solve. Man has limitations. And there's a lot of things man has learned to do, but then there's a lot of things man still can't do. And sometimes man reaches a point with things that man has to say, I don't know what else to do. I can't fix it. Can I tell you tonight, there's not a person in this place. In fact, I'll just go ahead and tell you, out of the, is it seven or eight billion now? Seven billion in the world? We're still at seven? Aren't we at seven? Y'all don't know. I think it's seven billion. Okay, how about this? Out of the billions of people, we can agree on that. Out of the billions of people in the world, the billions of people, there is not one person out of the billions that has some kind of problem or issue that God doesn't have the ability and the means to solve and fix. Heal, restore, not one. He which hath begun. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost... The process of sanctification started on the inside. And if you'll just stay engaged in the process and let it work, God will finish the work. There's an old song that says, I've got a long way to go to be like the Lord. So encourage me, strengthen me, deliver me, I pray, I think it is. I've got a long way to go. Now, you know, if you sing that song in the wrong way, you're going to get depressed and just quit. I got a long way to go. You got to sing it with a little country twang. 
you know what? I do have a long way to go. And you got a long way to go. But he knows how to get me all the way. It's not up to me to do it. I got to participate in the process, but it's not up to me to make it all happen. In some ways, it's really about the same role that a farmer plays, a gardener plays. You can't make that seed grow. You can't force your seeds to produce grass or tomatoes or cute. You can't. But you can weed. You can water. You can give fertilizer and nutrients. That, I, can, I can enhance what the Spirit of God can do in my life by aligning myself to the will of God in my life. God, thank you again for another evening of your word, of your spirit. Lord, I, I pray that you would help us tonight in the context of all that we have heard. We are, we are in a world that is so caught up with a quick fix. We want a, we want a quick solution. We want a quick answer. And when we go to, to, to one place and it's not quick enough, we'll go find someplace else that's, that'll get it in the time and the, and the, and the, at the speed in which we want it. But God, you're, you're not forced into that box. You're not pressed to hurry up and be forced to get something done. And so I pray that you would help us. Help us to recognize that this evening, God, from the first session and the second session tonight, there are some things that have been put in our hearts, our spirits, that we may not walk out of here tonight with the conscious awareness of the impact that they've had and that they are having, but if we will just stay in the processes of healing and forgiveness and sanctification, that you will finish what you started. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Thank you for the power of your spirit in our lives to produce in and through us what you desire. Thank you, God, that you have the ability to do it. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Again, thank you for being here this evening. Hope to see you at some point this weekend. In Jesus' name.